Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. On today's episode of Foresight Friday Roundup, we're going to talk about telemedicine, or do you say telehealth? I say telemedicine, so let's go with that. We're going to talk about what happened this week that makes you believe that telemedicine is the transformative care delivery juggernaut that proponents say it is, and what happened this week that makes you believe that the telemedicine juggernaut will be more like an alternative form of transportation. Our resident experts on Foresight Friday Roundup to tell us what to believe are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Gary Bisbee, co-founder and executive chairman of the Health Management Academy. Dave, Gary, uh, how are you guys doing on this first Friday in August? Good morning. It's still summer, I think. (laughs) All right. right. Before we talk about telemedicine, uh, let's talk about telemedicine. Dave, a few weeks back, you mentioned that you had a telemedicine visit with your doctor. Uh, Now that you've had more time to think about it, are you more or less likely to do it again? Oh, I don't need any more time to think about it. It was a a follow-up appointment on a dermatology visit uh, that took under five minutes and half of it was chit chat and not having to drive down to the office, fill out forms, sit around and so on was a joy, (laughs) a joy forever. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'll definitely do it again. Yeah. Gary, same thing. Any any recent telemedicine visits? My daughter uh, with a one year old has interacted um, in several different ways. She lives in Manhattan, so it's a heck of a lot easier to do it via telehealth visit than it is to schlep around uh, Greenwich Village. But I wouldn't hesitate in a heartbeat. Uh, if I needed it, I'd definitely do it. No telemedicine visits for me yet. Uh, turns out you two are the only people I talk to over the computer. So <laughs> <laughs> That may not be good, Dave, but... Right. <laughs> It also speaks to what a physical <laughs> specimen you are, Dave. You That's, know, right. The, That's the right. Paradigm of health. It's yeah, a- right. Let's let's go with that. <laughs> All right. Now on to today's topic, uh, uh, Dave. What happened this week that makes you think that telemedicine is sustainable and will change care delivery as we know it? The term telebanking went out in the 1980s. The fact that we still use the terms telemedicine and tele- telehealth uh, demonstrates that virtual care is still very much in its infancy. Uh, the big news this week was Teladoc's announced acquisition of Lavongo for a whopping $18.5 billion in a stock-funded deal. Uh, Teladoc and Lavongo are two of the successful, most successful digital health companies. Uh, Teladoc focusing on telemedicine visits and second opinions, Lavongo on chronic disease management, all over uh, digital platforms. And I'll focus my remarks on what this transaction suggests for the future of telemedicine. What's the market telling us? So when the deal closes, Teladoc shareholders will own 58% of the combined company. Lavongo shareholders will own 42%. At the 18.5 billion dollar purchase price for Lavongo, that's an implied valuation of 44 billion dollars. Wow, 44 billion dollars. Um, the actual market cap trading now for the two companies is in the low 30 billion, so it's it's roughly a third higher. Uh, 
But guess what other company has a $44 billion market capitalization? You've heard of them, HCA, the nation's largest for-profit hospital chain. We talked last week about how HCA crushed its second quarter earnings report when the overall industry had a negative 3% margin. It's a pretty well-run company. HCA trades at 0.86% of revenues. Lavongo and Teladoc trade at 23 times and 26 times revenues, respectively. Markets are forward-looking. Massive resources are flowing into telemedicine and telehealth. It won't be very long before it's just medicine and just health with a very, very significant virtual component. Great. Uh, thanks, Dave. Uh, Gary, what signs did you see this week that make you bullish on telemedicine? Let's look first at why the explosion of telemedicine visits over the last uh, several months. And it's what the economists call forced use. So people were afraid to come into the physician's office or the emergency room or the hospital. So they use telemedicine, telehealth. As Dave says, and I agree with them, pretty soon it's going to just be health, not telehealth. But in any event, they used it. And it reminds me a little bit of back when the iPhone came out, if you'd said to somebody, you're going to have this computer and carry it around in your pocket, people would look at you like you were nuts. And then you showed them, and then they wouldn't give it back. And a lot of that applies here. When people see the convenience, when they see that they can interact with the healthcare provider, uh, it, it really makes it a lot easier to make that part of the staple of your healthcare situation. So, so I've spoken to 30 health system CEOs over the last several months. Uh, interviewing them. And to a person, they see the value. What changed in the last several months? They were being paid for those visits. And so CMS, insurance companies were paying for the visit. So from the provider standpoint, they were being compensated for it. CMS has shown uh, that they will, in the form of an executive order from President Trump did not continue to pay for it. I'm sure there will be battles about how much and so on. But the fact that the providers are going to receive compensation pretty much locks in this deal that telemedicine is going to be good for the patients, be good for the providers, and will become a staple of the whole healthcare enterprise. Got it. Dave, anything to add to Gary's comments? I really liked uh, Gary's observation of forced use. Uh, necessity really is the mother of invention. Before COVID, virtual visits were 5%. During COVID, they got up as high in, in April and May as 75 80%. Now they're coming back down. The question is, where are they going to settle out? I had a debate uh, last week with uh, Kaveh Safavi, the head of uh, the global healthcare practice for Accenture. And Kaveh thinks they're going to settle in the 30 to 40% range, um, that some things are just better in a doctor's office. I, I'm actually higher. I think it ultimately settles in the 50 to 60% range that we are going to be handling so much of what we historically have done in doctors' offices and clinics uh, in through virtual mechanisms. And, and over time, that percentage will only increase. Got it. Just to build on Dave's point, 
none of the CEOs believed that the telemedicine visit percentage would remain where it was at the high point of the surge. They all knew it was going to come down. But Dave makes the point, and Kave was talking to Dave about it, which is where would it settle out? In a way, the Teledoc-Livongo merger answers that question. Wherever it settles now, it's going to be different next year, the year after, <clears throat> the year after that. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I interviewed Jason Gorovich, the CEO of Teledoc, uh, 10 days ago, um, and I, we released that uh, that interview earlier this week, Jason said that he believes that the uh, COVID surge has accelerated telemedicine use by three years. So he didn't say five years or 10 years, he said three years. And during that three years, all of the innovations that are being used now <clears throat> in health systems and in doctor's offices are going to just continue to accelerate the uh, the use. And I would I would guess if we're talking about this five years from now, It'll be right where where Dave was talking about 50, 60 percent uh, of the business will be some version of telehealth. Got it. Uh, thanks, Gary. Now, I, I guess it's a glass half empty time. Gary, is there anything that you've seen this week that would change your uh, opinion and make you skeptical that telemedicine's mo momentum will continue? And uh, why wouldn't it? I don't think there's anything I see that's going to prevent it. I, the issue is what Dave raised, which is, so what's the percentage of visits? If it was 80% during the surge and settles back to 50%, 40%, I mean, it is clearly going to grow. Just the convenience factor alone will drive these visits. If you think of the rural consumer who has to drive 100 miles to get to a doctor, no-brainer telemedicine. If you think of the uh, old timers who <clears throat> may have difficulty getting out, when I was interviewing Russ Cox, CEO at uh, Norton, Russ was saying about the so-called old timers, he said, you know, a lot of them are very used to tele through FaceTiming their grandchildren. So there's not, uh, there's not any problem at all with that group uh, using telemedicine. And it is the case that there's some portion of the population that doesn't have access to wireless and doesn't have access possibly to a computer, which is unfortunate and needs to be dealt with. Hopefully, we can deal with that uh, over the next year or two, but that's not a reason to think that it's not going to uh, continue to accelerate in, in use. Got it. Dave, uh, any indications you saw this week that telemedicine will come back down to earth and uh, simply function as another alternative to see your doctor or uh, access the healthcare system? Not anything specific this week. Uh, the, the visits are definitely coming down. My biggest concern is the uh, application of, of bad habits um, to telemedicine. Um, will we see um, over-treatment, uh, misuse, uh, fraud, and, and so on. And that's a risk uh, that we have as long as there's um, 
piecemeal payment for for healthcare services. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, Ativ Moroda, uh, Dr. Ativ Moroda from Harvard Medical School, he's one of the leading uh, researchers on on telemedicine in the country, issued a report that said telemedicine adds costs, um, doesn't detract from costs. And uh, I was at a conference where he was presenting his findings before he had published the piece. And I got assigned the role of basically challenging his findings. So we had a couple of very nice conversations and it was a very thorough report, well-documented and so on. It wasn't, wasn't hard to argue with the facts, but I got up the day of the conference and decided to challenge the premise of the study. And I was looking for the right metaphor. And what I, what I said was, uh, after complimenting Dr. Morota, is that I, I think the study just missed the forest for the trees. It's a little bit like uh, studying why people in jail don't take more vacation time. There's just something else going on, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, and the something else going on is the payment uh, system that when you pay for activity, you get more of it. So is it really a surprise that when you, you're paying for telemedicine, you get you get more of it um, or it gets added on to uh all the other stuff that, that healthcare providers do. And I said, if you really want to understand the value of tele- telemedicine, telehealth, you need to look at organizations like the VA, Kaiser, the Army that have the financial risk for treating entire population. And those organizations, telemedicine services are widespread and not just because they're lower cost, which they are, but because they get access particularly to specialized expertise and uh, maybe even more importantly, behavioral health services much more quickly and effectively than than physical visits. Uh, and in those organizations, you know, telehealth is 70 plus percent of the activity. And that's part of what's driving my belief that, that we're going to just see, keep seeing more and more telehealth. But the industry has some bad habits and um, will continue to uh, ride the fee-for-service system as long as it can. So kind of comes back to the uh, topic we talk about a lot, which is we're not going to fundamentally change the way we deliver care uh, until we change the way we pay for it. And the way that we're going to really see the benefit of um Virtual care is when we shift more and more into full risk contracts where you've got vertically integrated organizations that are managing the care for populations. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Gary, uh, anything to add, especially on the connection between payment and telemedicine use? Well, I agree with Dave. Obviously, bad habits are going to happen any place. I mean, if I worry about anything in this whole telemedicine space, I worry about training and how are the caregivers going to be trained and keep up with the times, that sort of thing. And there could be some bad habits. But I I do think that there's bad habits any place. And in a way, it's probably easier to regulate this in a telemedicine situation in that it presumably at least could be recorded. So I think we just go for it. I think the consumers are going to drive this. The payment system will have to follow along. I'm sure there will be battles over how much payment, but this is here to stay. And I think we'll accelerate, as I mentioned before, five years from now, we won't recognize the healthcare delivery process. It'll be so much uh, digital involved with it. All right. Uh, now, as always, let's spend a few minutes talking about next week. Gary, what do you see as the big healthcare story next week? 
Well, I don't know about next week, but I'm starting to become quite interested in the November election. And what's the difference between the Biden health plan? It definitely seems that Biden is moving left. And it would be fun to have a discussion on what that actually means for healthcare delivery. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that on the docket for a conversation. Dave, what's your prediction for the uh, big healthcare story next week? <laughs> well, third time's a charm. I've said the biggest thing we'd be talking about the last two weeks has been the stimulus package, and we still don't have one. <laughs> uh, the new employment numbers came out this morning, and they weren't great. It was only 1.8 million new jobs in July, well below the 4.8 million created in, in June. Unemployment rate is at above 10 percent, you know, highest it's 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 been since the Great Depression. And we still got we've lost 22 million jobs. And it's just hard to fathom that we won't put massive stimulus into the economy. And yet we're, we're having that debate. And and obviously some of that stimulus will, will go into the healthcare system as a whole. But we're clearly saying that this recession is going to be deeper and longer than I think many had hoped at the onset of COVID. And what the government does right now is is really, really, really important. Well, thanks, Dave. And thanks, Gary. Keep wearing your masks. Uh, We've got a show next week. (laughs) I model appropriate behavior regarding masks everywhere I go. So, uh, (laughs) Excellent. All right. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health. 